89.9 The Light. This is Positive Radio. You're in community conversation with Clayton and throughout the evening uh, you can ask your question of all our guests. Uh, Rob Buckingham's going to be along answering about the time of what is occurring with prayer during COVID-19. Does God still hear our prayers during this time and in what form? Uh, we've got Professor Brett Sutton later on as well. And right now joining us is Dr. Tari Turner. She is a Senior Research Fellow at Cochrane Australia. Uh, she is also a member of uh, the Scientific and Technical Advisory Group to the uh, WHO Department of uh, Re- Reproductive Health and Research, the WHO. You're not supposed to say WHO, I don't believe. I'll check with her now. Dr. Tari Turner joins us. G'day, Tari. Hey, Clayton, how are you? I'm doing very, very well indeed. I know that one of your absolute passions is evidence-based research, and especially as we make decisions in the world of health. And uh, you have been involved, uh, your team, uh, around looking after us if we were to get COVID uh, and find ourselves in a hospital uh, in Victoria. Is that correct? Have I summarised correctly the, the work you've been doing of recent times? Yeah, I think I'd even go a bit broader than that. So I'm a part of the team that's supporting the National COVID-19 Clinical Evidence Task Force. And the role of the task force is to provide guidance for clinicians across Australia in any setting. So whether that's in the community or in hospital, in the critical care, um, and across Australia from any state. So we're funded by the Australian Government and also by the Victorian Department of Health. Fantastic. I'm sorry, I only limited it to Victoria. I hadn't realised that much. Very, very good indeed, Tari. I want to ask you also around the idea of, I'm imagining at the start when this all occurred and, and you know, COVID started coming into our understanding and, and suddenly, hey, look, we, we need to actually put a team together to look at this. It must have been just frantic at the start. Yes, you're absolutely right. It was it was manic. Um, we're, everybody, I think, at that point was scurrying um, in all areas of health to get as prepared as we could for COVID-19. Uh, and we had to very p- quickly pull together a team of people who could look at the research and also pull together a much broader team of all the people who have the clinical expertise. Um, and that's why, exactly why the task force was formed, to bring them all together into one place. Yeah. And we're quite fortunate at Cochrane Australia and through our networks, we have great contacts with people who've got lots of the expertise we needed so we were able to get up and running pretty quickly. Yeah. Now, one of the things, you know, very much as a layperson in, in this area, watching the media and, and, you know, seeing what it is, it, it feels like there was constantly changing understandings of what this was occurring um, and, and what, you know, you, you shouldn't wear masks and you should wear masks or maybe this is an idea or maybe you do this at the start as we, we sort of cast our minds back two or three months ago. You talk about sort of the whole point for, for you and the, the team that you were working with was to look at evidence-based research. Was there actually much to start with at the start? Um, that's a great question. And the answer is no, not really. I mean, this is a novel, a new virus. So we didn't know very much about um, COVID-19 specifically. And back in January and February, we started to see trials registered. Um, and there's now heaps of research underway. And, and that was really the underpinning for these guidelines that were developed. We're calling them living guidelines because they're updated every week. Mm. So as new research comes out, we can quickly have a look at it, see if it's any good and see if it would help our doctors and nurses make better decisions about care for patients with COVID-19. Yeah. How do you make calls during this time? You know, again, with my limited understanding, I, I sort of hear about um, research that occurs and often it takes, you know, years and years to do the tests and then check the tests and then make sure that that's right. And, and then you might actually sort of come out and say, look, we, we believe this is actually the right way to go and this is how to treat patients or whatever it might be. Um, when yep. you've got things that are moving so quickly, how do you actually know that the, the results of this test or that test are the best way to go forward? Yeah, so that's exactly what the team, we've got an evidence team within the task force do each week. 
So, well, every day, in fact, we look at what research is being published and we look at the quality of the methods of that research. So was it done in a way that means that it's likely to be reflecting the true, true facts um, or is, it like, is there potential for it to be biased? And, and over time, over the last few months, we've started to get more and more rigorous research. So um, we've had 22 of what we call the gold standard type of research for treatment, randomised control trials, were pub- have been published so far. Um, but just to give you a sense of the amount of research that's underway, we're aware of more than 10,000 studies <laughs> wow. that are currently being conducted across the globe. So um, the amount of research that's going to be coming out in the next weeks and months is going to just rapidly increase. Yeah. And it's really important that we, we quickly get a sense of whether it is reliable um, so that we know whether we should be changing our practice. Yeah. So it seems like the, the most important part of the job is actually getting rid of the ones that you think aren't reliable in that sense. Absolutely. And we talk about there being an infodemic as well as a pandemic. Right. Um, I'm sure your listeners feel the same way, but there just seems to be a deluge of information. Every day somebody's saying something that seems to be different from what they said yesterday. And sometimes those things are new information that's useful, but often it's just a lot of distraction um, or misinformation. And you're right, we need to filter out the stuff that's not helpful or is actually wrong to get the stuff that can be helpful. Mm. And is there a way, this is slightly off the topic, and we're going to come back to it, so very specifically some of the, the work that's been put out there, but um, you know, for, you've got a whole team who are sitting around saying, look, we, we understand it. We've done, we've done our study to say, look, actually, I reckon that might be slightly biased on that one or that one here. Um, yeah. As you say, all of us are, are, are overwhelmed with this. Are there just some key principles that we should actually be looking at when we, we're reading things or we're understanding things to, to try and grasp if something's more reliable or not? Yeah, so I think at a, at a you know kind of a simple check would just to be to stop and say, is this based on actual research or is this just somebody's opinion? And it really doesn't matter who that person is, whether they've got a professor in front of their name or maybe they're a TV chef. And um, <laughs> if they've got solid research to back up what they're saying, then you can have a bit more confidence yeah. in that. Yeah, and I think that's a you know when we're sitting in our social spaces or even in the news spaces, that's a, a good foundation, right? It can seem like things, but to keep digging and digging and doing a bit of our own work to make sure it's actually coming out of some sort of research. And at least that's a starting place. Yeah, and I think that's right. And I think you know, I had an early conversation a few months ago with a, um, a woman who's a professor of infectious diseases. And she said back in April, you know, I just can't keep up with all this research. And I thought, well, if you can't keep up with it, you know, what, help, what hope does the junior doctor in an emergency department in the Alfred Hospital has. We need to help them get the right research in front of them so they know how to practice the best possible way for their patients. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about that. That was the the, the job that you and and all those that you're working with in this special sort of task force were were given. Um, What was the first step that you needed to do so that you could actually help out uh, those caring for, for COVID patients all around the country? Yeah. So the first step was to work out, well, what were the important questions? So what were the the doctors and the nurses asking, whether they were um, in big city hospitals or out in remote or rural rural, um, communities? What were the questions where they weren't sure what they should be doing? There's a lot of things that they do for patients with COVID-19 that are the same as they might do for patients who have other forms of um, similar illnesses, pneumonia and so on. But there are things that are specific to COVID-19 where they just didn't know what they should be doing. And so we first went through a process of working out what are those key questions that we need to answer straight up. Um, and in fact, we continue to do that. So each week we get new questions from um, people working in health and then we prioritise those which are the most important, which are likely to have the biggest impact on patients and go and try and find the research to answer them. 
And then is it about sort of putting it into a space that is easily digestible as well? Uh, you know, we were talking before about, uh, you know, a junior doctor here, important to know that they've got the right information, but then I'm, I'm supposing it's a, a whole process to make it as easily understood as possible, but with enough information to, to make sure things aren't being missed. Yeah, that's right. So we go through a process of, as we've been talking about, looking at the quality of the research evidence. And then we have seven panels of more than 200 doctors and nurses who look at the, what the evidence is saying and come up with a hopefully neat and simple way of making a recommendation on the basis of that research about what um, doctors and nurses should be doing. And then that goes up onto our website that we have um, that's updated once a week, which has the simple text of the recommendation, hopefully in maybe a sentence, possibly two, but then behind that, all the information about what research underpins that and why we think it's relevant for this context and whether there are things that are important to patients that should be taken into consideration. Mm. My guest is Dr. Tari Turner. She is uh, one of a, a number of people on this special task force. Uh, well, they've been charged with making sure that if we find ourselves in a, a COVID-19 situation, being looked after in hospitals or other places all around this country, that we've got the best care possible. If you've got a question for her, give us a call now. one 1-300-777-899. We're going to be back with Tari in a couple of minutes' time with your questions and also want to find out from her, uh, what's the, the is there been a moment for her as she's gone through this that she's gone, oh, wow, that's something incredible. I'm so glad that we've, we've got this. What was a, the highlight of, of making sure that she knew we're going to be looking after us the best we can? That's on the way next here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light. This is Positive Radio. You're in community conversation with Clayton and you can give us a call on 1300-777-899. Any of our guests this evening, uh, Rob Buckingham coming up soon from Bayside Church talking about prayer during the time of COVID. We've got Professor Brett Sutton, the Chief Health Officer of Victoria after 8 o'clock answering your questions for the hour. And right now, Dr. Tari Turner joins us. She is one of those on the National COVID-19 Clinical Evidence Task Force in essence, looking at all the research and ensuring that everybody uh, who is looking after a COVID-19 patient around our country is getting the best understanding of the way that they should be actually going about looking after those people. And we've got uh, Brian from Narrowarren North on the line, ready to ask you a question as well, T uh, Tari. Brian, you're on with Tari. What's your question? Yeah, uh, Dr. Turner, look, I've just been listening to what you've been saying about the information. Well, it appears to be the information overload, but... Is there a worldwide coordinated um, task force, so to speak, so as to be looking at different in different areas for that information and that research, or is it just a bit of a free for? So, sort of, and I suppose that I suppose that also applies to the vaccine as well. Is it just every man for himself worldwide, or is it, or is there a coordinated um, task force worldwide to try and you know direct uh, the research and or the um, you know the, the vaccine? Uh, potentially, um, or is it just, you know, each country for itself? Um, thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, I think my answer is probably it's a, it's a little bit of both. So um, there's lots of people obviously working really hard to do research, to looking to many different areas of the COVID-19 um, and a number of different groups working together to try and coordinate that work and make sure that it's not duplicated and um, so we're not wasting time and money on work that's been doing done in two places. So the World Health Organisation has a group that's looking at coordinating research um, and there's a group based in um, Canada that's particularly trying to coordinate research. 
for our work, um, we use a, a database of research on COVID-19 that's maintained by the Centers for Disease Control in the US. Um, and they do searches of 20 different sources across the globe, trying to pull together all the research into one place, which we can then search every day. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit of both. There's increasing effort to try and um, coordinate work across the globe, but there is quite a bit of um, people pursuing their own areas of interest, and that's probably good overall. We want we want to make sure there's diversity of approaches being investigated. Yeah. Thank you very much, Brian. Appreciate that. We've got Angela on the line as well for you, Tari. Angela, you're on with Dr. Tari. Hi, Dr. Tari. Thank you, Clayton. Uh, Dr. Tari, is there enough reliable research now to say, if you can actually say unequivocally when it comes to science, but close enough, how long the virus remains alive and or infectious for on surfaces? Um, yeah, thanks, Angela. So just to be really clear, the task force that I'm a part of is looking particularly at treatment and care of patients with COVID-19. So we're not looking at infection control issues. There's another group that is looking at infection control group uh, issues. They're called the Infection Control Expert Group, um, or ICIG, and, and they've got guidelines out. So if you look at the, um, if you just Googled Infection Control Expert Group, um, they've got guidelines for environmental management. We know a lot more about how long now the virus remains viable on different surfaces and, um, and they're the experts in that area. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Angela. They've certainly, uh, you know, they're, they're eye care. It's still not the most catchy, but uh, your one's a bit harder. Right, to, that's right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> We've got no high, high moral ground on acronyms. There you go. At least it's easy to remember. Uh, Tara, also wanted to talk about, as you've gone through this work and, you know, collating all the research, constantly looking at it week by week as well, um, in terms of the hours that's spent looking at that um, and making sure, you know, all the new research is coming, as you mentioned at the start of our chat, that there's, there's sort of thousands more coming over the next weeks and, and into the next months or so. Um, how much time do, do you actually spend doing that? And, and has that got less and less and as you've got better at it, perhaps as a task force, or is it still just as demanding week in, week out? I think the initial maybe six weeks were completely crazy and we were all working as close to 24 hours a day as we could. And we're certainly not there anymore. Um, we have the equivalent of just over 10 full-time staff looking at the evidence that's coming out each week. Um, and as I mentioned, another 200 health care practitioners, doctors and nurses who are part of the broader task, task force to look at the um, research in their weekly meetings. Um, and they are, so we have six panels of experts meeting every week six or seven, depending on the week. And um, so it's still a big exercise to get it out each week. But I think we're probably, um, we have a bit more stability in the system. The, the systems are in place and we know what the process is now. So yeah. it's, a, it's a bit more manageable. Uh, without divulging too much, and we're certainly not asking that, but do you ever get differences of opinions to the point where you're actually saying, look, you know, half of us are saying, we think this is actually really good, and the other half are saying, look, well, I'm not, not too sure. Or, or does it tend to be sort of a, a bit of a consensus as you look at the research and it sort of becomes pretty obvious itself? I think there's real variation. Um, so for some questions, the research is very clear. And in those cases, we make what's called a strong recommendation. So essentially we're saying this recommendation is going to apply to almost all patients in all circumstances um, because the research is so clear. In other areas where the research isn't clear um, or where patients might have different views or different preferences, we make what's called a conditional recommendation. So we're saying in this area, the research isn't so clear that we think it, almost every patient should get this treatment. We think there's room for some interpretation and different people's opinions. So we mark those recommendations in the guidelines so it's very clear um, where there is strong recommendations and where we think that's less so. 
and the conversations that the panel members have um, around those around the research in each of the questions is really fascinating and robust. It's a real privilege to be a part of them uh, as people are thinking through all the issues for different people in different contexts. Um, yeah, it's a great process. In terms of the actual task force work as, as specifically, and I suppose a bit more for us as lay people too in this regards, what are some of the things that are happening right now um, because of the work of the task force that if someone is being treated in a COVID-19 situation that is actually occurring because of what the task force has done? Well, I want to be really careful to say that you know, we're one part of a much bigger machine, mm-hmm. um, but I think we've got we've been able to give very clear guidance in a number of um, areas where clinicians were saying they just weren't sure. So things like, um, I'm going to use some terrible names here, but there's a drug called remdesivir um, that people will have heard about. And we now have recommendations for whether or not to use those in remdesivir in different patient groups, which I think was a really important question. Um, And people may have heard um, people talking about another drug name, hydroxychloroquine. Yes, yes. Again, that we various people have talked about that at various times. And again, yeah, all around the world. Um, and we've, again, been able to provide clear guidance about the use of hydroxychloroquine um, and the evidence about that. So, um, And next week there'll be recommendations around another drug, um, dexamethasone, which people will have heard about this week too. So it's an ongoing contribution. Yeah, right. And has there been anything... Um really sort of I suppose surprising as you've come out of this and you're spending your time in here and you oh boy I'm so so thrilled we can do this uh you know this is going to make a huge difference is there uh, you know in this time I don't know if you can quite say it's a you know a bit of a joy in the midst of it but you know you get what I mean yeah I think that probably there's twofold for me one is I'm um continuously grateful to be in such a fortunate position that we have few patients in Australia who need these guidelines mm-hmm. right now um, but also we're seeing that increasingly the people coming to it look at our guidelines from uh, from other countries internationally um, where there's just such a huge need. Um, so it's great to not have, have the um, demand in Australia right now because we're um, in such a fortunate position, but it's also fantastic to be able to contribute to the global community and provide guidance for others who really need it. Yeah. Final question as we do wrap up as well. Yeah, you're sitting there with all the research. You're, you're having a look at this constantly as we go through. And, and I suppose my question would be, um, is there a word of advice that you'd give us? As you, you're seeing the things that are happening around the world and, and the various aspects that are uh, occurring. And, and as you said, overall, here in Australia, we, we're doing pretty, pretty well. Is, is there something that you'd sort of share with us, I suppose, encourage us? Is it just keep going with what we're doing, the social distancing? What might it be for you? Yeah, I think it would be that. Um, so I think there are lots of elements of this that are painful in lots of different ways for us. But um, I guess I'd encourage people to keep making the smaller sacrifices um, for the good of everybody else. It's, there are elements of what we need to do here to um, help ourselves and help our communities that are a bit inconvenient and can be painful, but um, it's absolutely worth it. And I just encourage you to keep, keep on putting in the, the effort to do that because it makes a huge difference. Tari, we uh, thank you so much for your time this evening and for the incredible work that you and the task force are doing. Pleasure, thanks. Dr Tari Turner, she's uh, on the National COVID-19 Clinical Evidence Task Force. It's been incredible being able to just hear a little bit more about the work that uh, she and the task force are doing. Remarkable, isn't it? Aren't we so blessed to live in a country with... uh, Uh, Such incredible people doing that sort of a work. On the way next, we're going to be having a chat with Rob Buckingham as we talk about prayer during this time of COVID. And a bit later on, uh, Professor Brett Sutton, the Chief Health Officer here in Victoria, answering your calls. You can phone through for any of our guests, 1300 777 
899.